This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It is great to be with you uh, this week, and I hope you had a good week and a good weekend. And today, we're so excited to welcome Attorney Benson Hill, who is uh, Privacy and Information Security Officer at UMMC. And he'll be helping us to understand how to protect the privacy of our healthcare transactions. And he'll also help us understand what HIPAA is and how it protects us. Benson, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, um, I can't believe it's been how many years since you graduated. And uh, uh, thank you for being on the show. And I know you earned an LLM in, in health law after you attended law school. But can you tell, tell us about your background in health law and why you became interested in it? Uh, first, Professor Gershon, it's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to the listeners. Uh, it's wonderful to see you. It has been several years since I graduated, uh, but uh, as I'm sure you're, as you know, um, I was a nurse for several years before I went to law school, and I have a background in information security before that. So I, I went to law school with the purpose of studying health law and expanding my nursing practice. Um, instead of you know, having a one, one-on-one patient at the bedside, I decided to serve the entire community as a nurse lawyer, um, healthcare attorney. So I very much still consider myself a nurse, um, I, as well as an attorney, and I use my skills to serve the community and serve the patients. And so one of my main goals is to protect the privacy of the patients and to protect their rights. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your role at UMMC. At UMMC, I um, work in the Information Security and Privacy Office. And um, so my goal, again, is to protect the privacy of everybody's health information. And I see one of my goals, like I said, is to protect the rights of our patients and our not only our patients, but the broader community, because we have such a large mission at University Medical Center. We have the research mission. We do a lot of research. We're one of the um, leading research institutions. And so we have a lot of research participants that give us permission to use their data in certain ways. And so one of my main goals is to make sure that we protect their rights and protect the patients and the participants in our research. Our educational mission is very broad. Um, As you know, we're the only um, academic medical center in the state. So we um, educate all the physicians and a lot of the nurses in the state, um, we have a large mission there. And so it's not just patients, the, the data that we protect. It's We have data for uh, all, of course, all the patients. We have the children's, our state's only children's specialty hospital. We have now have the burn unit. So um, people come to University of Medi- Mississippi Medical Center for a variety of reasons, whether it be for research participation, um, for education, or for treatment. And so we use that data um, to better the health of the community. And we go ahead. That's just such an exponential number of participants 
than I even thought about when we invited you on to think about. I guess I was thinking about the people who go in to get their heart checked. But, you know, some of these clinical trials, you know, have hundreds or thousands of people. And then if you think of all of the, the students and the, you know, the 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 other Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of records to keep track of. It really is. It's a lot, and depending on um, how we get your data and what permissions you give to us, we have to be sure that we don't violate the trust you provided us. And so that's my main goal: to protect um, the data and to make sure we use it responsibly. It's you know, Benson. It's 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 so inform- it's so um, interesting because when I was in law school, the the whole idea of privacy and information security didn't exist. I think it was, you know, put it in a locked file cabinet and make sure nobody else has the key. Right. But it's so much more complicated now. So I mean, I, how do you become a privacy and information officer? Uh, well, like I said, I have a very, I've, most people say a unique background. Um, I started in computer, my first degree was computer science, and I was an information security professional um, for several years before I decided I wanted to do more service-oriented work, and went to nursing school to become a nurse. Fell in love with the medical field and the healthcare field and helping people in that way. But I just, again, I decided I wanted to combine those roles and do more instead of just helping one person at a time to take on, you know, help the larger community. And so I went to law school for the purpose of that. They always say, don't, uh, don't go to law school deciding, already predecided what type of law you want to practice. You'll be exposed to so many different things. You may be surprised what you've all in love with. And that's definitely true. But I did that. I went to law school at Ole Miss for the express purpose of going into healthcare law and information and security and privacy. Um, so I did that. I focused my courses on that. And then my um, LLM at University of Houston Law Center, I took those courses and focused on that as well. I focused on health law as well as information security and privacy. And that included all U.S. privacy laws as well as um, the GDPR in Europe, uh, California's new um, protection. You know, they have they're at the forefront of a lot of the privacy protections in the United States is California. Um, so some other states are now modeling their rules after California's um, rules, but we studied all that. And so that's, that was my goal. Um, I, I knew where I wanted to go with my career and how I wanted to help people. And so that's what I, that's where I focus my studies. If you have a question about privacy and how your information is held and what is HIPAA? What is that little piece of paper you have to sign every time you check in at the doctor's office? That's what we're discussing today on In Legal Terms. Our guest is Benson Hill, Privacy and Information Security Officer from UMMC. Email us your questions. That phone number is, or that email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, Benson, I'm so glad we had Benson on today. Uh, and, you know, really, I'm happy you took your background prior to law school and and continued to work towards uh, using it after law school. Um, Somebody like me didn't really have a background in anything. So, you know, the fact that I ended up in tax is still a mystery to me. But, you know, that that we do have students, people who come from teaching, for example, you know, use that to go into ed law, you know, into education law. And I think you you have a good path and and we're lucky uh, that you did this. But. Uh, so let's let's we'll talk about HIPAA in the next segment specifically. But what exactly does the general counsel's office at UMC, UMMC do, and 
who do you represent? You know, usually you think of lawyers representing someone. When you're in the general counsel office there, who do you represent? Certainly. Well, just to clarify, I'm actually not in the general counsel's office okay. at UMMC, but ah. the general counsel's office in any corporation, they represent the corporation as a whole. So UMC's general counsel represents the university, which means they don't represent any single individual. They don't represent the vice chancellor. They don't represent the chancellor. Uh, they represent the entire institution. So they do have a legal obligation um, to perform and advise in the best interest of the institution. But that sometimes does not always mean the best interest of certain individuals within the institution. Um, and there, I can't think of any examples of that happening at UMMC, but in other corporations, there have been examples where um, a senior executive may be doing something that is not quite um, legal. So they may have to advise the board of trustees or the board of directors to um, act in a matter that is not in the best interest of that specific executive, but it is in the best interest of the organization. Um, so that's important for employees to understand that um, the general counsel doesn't represent you as an individual or they represent the best interest of what's best for the organization. And we're going to learn what's best for you as an individual. We're going to learn about your rights. Send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are discussing HIPAA with our guest, Benson Hill, Privacy and Information Security Officer at our very own UMMC here in Mississippi. So if you would like some additional reading about your health information privacy, I'm going to tell you where you should start next. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody can listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. To learn more about health information privacy, just go to the source, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Offices for Civil Rights. HHS.gov has multiple web pages explaining your rights, We'll have a link to the page where you can start learning on our page for this show. This morning, we're talking about HIPAA with our guest, Benson Hill, Privacy and Information Security Officer at UMMC. And so, um, Benson, you know, um, we hear uh, you know, a great deal about HIPAA. And so, so and, uh, what, and, what exactly is HIPAA? HIPAA is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Um, which surprises a lot of people. They don't realize that it's actually primarily in, uh, legislation based on insurance. And they think it's the Health Information Privacy Act or something of similar. It's actually not. It's the Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act. So 1P, 2As, uh, gets often misspelled. But it was originally um, to a, a legislation to allow people to be able to trans, uh, move their health insurance from one provider to the other more easily. And it only afterwards became the primary privacy regulation um, in some modifications later. And so that's why a lot of the regulations may seem a little bit strange to some people um, when they first think, if I was drafting or trying to draw up some privacy rules, what would I initially start with? Uh, you have to realize that this legislation started as an insurance regulation. So coming from that background, it, it, it evolved differently than you might expect. And some of the rules are a little odd. 
um, such that people don't really realize a lot of times that it not all health information is protected regardless of whomever holds it. There are only certain in, certain entities, certain um, individuals and organizations that are required to abide by HIPAA, and those are called covered entities. Um, so that includes all health plans, let's health insurers. Um, it does not include life insurance programs, though. That's a surprise for a lot of people. Uh, almost all health care providers, whether it be a psychiatrist or psychologist, even chiropractors, nursing homes, pharmacists, dentists, anything like that, um, that uh, almost all of those are covered entities. And then health care clearinghouses, which are not really that much of an issue in current time, but they were an issue um, when the legislation was first drafted, and that was how insurance companies could move your information between each other. Um, a clearinghouse was that third party that uh, matched up all their codes, but we don't have that nearly as much anymore. So, you know, your employer, for instance, if your employer is not a healthcare provider or health insurer, they are not a covered entity. They're not required to follow the HIPAA guidelines or the HIPAA regulations, and that surprises a lot of people. Let's go to our first call in Tupelo. It's Jerome. Jerome, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hi, how you doing? Uh, my name is Jerome Smith. Um, I'm here in Tupelo. I'm a transplant from Detroit. My wife is here. She's a doctor. Um, she got her doctorate, and her thesis paper was on HIPAA and how it helps the patient and how it's, uh, how it's influential in, uh, in the medical setting. Um, right now, she has not been able to use her knowledge or anything here in the city of Tupelo or even on uh, Mississippi. She's from Nashville, and she came down here. And we got married down here, and you know, I, I may be a little bit biased, but it's an actual, actual uh, great paper that she wrote. Oh, I'm sure. Maybe biased. <laughs> and uh, I want to know if there's any suggestions as to how she would be able to utilize that knowledge that she has, and you know, the fact that it is a, a written, uh, it is accepted paper for a doctor. Certainly, Jerome, and that's. That's Ooh, a- employment opportunities. Here's <laughs> one I don't know that you prepared for. If other folks wanted to get into the area of uh, health, uh, privacy, and information security, where would you suggest they go for uh, em- explore employment opportunities? That is a good question. It is something that I was not prepared for. Um, everyone in this field, it seems, has a different career path. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is something that people are constantly looking for um, – Advice, and this is usually providers, smaller providers especially, they need help complying with um, all the regulations. There's some very um, intricate decisions they can make, and so they need advice, and they need consultants to do that. So um, someone that's just getting into the field may try doing some independent consulting, um, drafting the notice of the required notice of privacy practices, um, especially if she can connect with any healthcare attorneys. Um, they have really good leads. So that's what I would suggest uh-huh. um, is trying to get in that's touch with some I of the – Right. I would suggest trying to get in touch with some healthcare attorneys, some firms that practice healthcare law, and they uh-huh. might could direct her and um, might be able to know some people that are looking for some work. Well, it's a, it's a very obscure field, but I, I, I feel that most of the people that are in it have to go ahead and make their own lane. You're right, Jerome, we do. And, you know, that's one thing that that's what I was saying before, that it seems like everyone in this field not only had their own uh, career path, but they they definitely want to do it for the protection of people. They want to serve um, the patients and the research participants. They want to um, help protect people's rights and they want to make sure people are doing it correctly. So um, 
I, I look forward to hearing what she do, ends up doing. Thanks, Jerome. We're so glad that you called in today. Uh, you know, you talked about uh, HIPAA protecting my privacy. How how is my privacy protected? Certainly, Liz. Well. HIPAA gives certain guidelines on how a provider can use your information, how they can use that information and disclose it or share it with others. And so the basic rule is that we can use your health information for to treat you for treatment purposes, for payment purposes, seeking out whether that's be your insurer or you directly. We can use your information for that or for our own internal health care operations. Um, usually anything other than that requires a written authorization from you before we can use or disclose your health care information. HIPAA uses a term called protected health information, which is basically anything that could potentially identify you um, that relates to your health care in any way, whether it be past, present, or future. So we have strict regulations about what we are allowed to do um, and how we're allowed to share that information without your direct authorization. And so that's one of the main protections of HIPAA is that we have to – that's what the notice of privacy practices, that piece of paper you have to sign every time you go uh, to a new pharmacist even or to a new provider. Um, we're required to give you a notice of how we're planning to use your information so that you're aware of what we are allowed to do and how we plan to use your information. Um, and that's important to take a glance through. For instance, your local um, – clinic usually will not have a lot of students coming through learning, so they probably will not use your information to teach people. However, at University Medical Center, we're a teaching institution. We're the state's only academic medical center. So one of the things in our notice of privacy practices explains that we will be using your information to teach students. You know, you will encounter student doctors and student nurses while you're there. And so while that's a little unusual, we make sure you're aware of it. Um, and that's required by the federal government, that we tell you what we're planning to do with it. And the main thing is that we protect that trust. We do what we're going to tell we, we do what we tell you we're going to do, and we don't do anything else. Anything else, we seek your specific authorization. Uh, we tell you exactly who's going to get your information, how, what they're using it for, and um, how long that authorization will last. So whether that's for research or uh, any purpose, you know, all of our research is um, – we informed consent. So that goes in that way. We make sure you understand exactly what the research is about, who's going to get access to your identified information, who's going to know this is you, um, and you have to authorize that. Well, Benson, it seems like that the, this is another reason why someone might want it, uh, some type of healthcare directive because that is a written directive that someone else may have access to their health records if they can't give that consent themselves for some reason. You're exactly right, Professor. The healthcare directive is um, very important, um, as you told us originally in law school. You know that, that healthcare directive and a will um, are both very important documents. A lot of um, healthcare providers and practitioners, whether they be nurses, physicians, or whatever, a lot of times they will see HIPAA as a limiting factor. They think they're constrained so much by HIPAA, but. HIPAA does allow us to use professional judgment in certain circumstances. If a patient is unable to communicate, for instance, comes in in an emergency, the provider, the physician, can use their professional judgment and say, this person that is with them, that is providing care for them, their family member, I can discuss that information with this person because it's in the patient's best interest. It was never intended, uh, you have to remember that HIPAA tries to protect the patient. It was never intended to prevent information sharing where it would help the patient, 
where it provides a service. Um, we're allowed to share information with uh, another practitioner for your treatment without an authorization. You don't have to fill out. A lot of pre- we, a lot of providers do require an authorization be signed. That's mainly for record-keeping purposes, so we know where your information's going because we have to be able to tell you if you ask us that. If you ask us where we've shared your information, we have to provide that with for you. But the actual legal requirement is that if, a, if you go to a new physician and need a physician needs your medical records to treat you, we have to provide that to them, which is also a change from pre-HIPAA days. Used to um, everyone did not – not everyone agreed that the patient was had a right to their own medical information, and HIPAA's made that clear. The government in the last several years, their main HIPAA enforcement actions have all been under the right of access, which is a very important right that HIPAA provides to patients, that you have the right to receive and view a copy of your own medical records. And that's so important because just like whether it's your credit report or anything else, mistakes are occasionally made. We try our best to keep everything accurate, but it does happen. And so it's very important, um, we believe, to get a copy of your medical information and be able to see that. And you have the right to share that with whomever you wish. You have the right to direct a provider to share that information with whomever you wish. Good good plug. Money Talks just talked about uh, credit reports on January 24th. <laughs> We're talking about HIPAA, and we have a phone call. Everybody's flowing on the same wavelength. It's our friend Roger from Florence. Uh, Roger, we'd love to hear you to chime in on this topic. What have you got for us? Well, thank you. Uh, as usual, uh, because of my age and experience, uh, I may be out of date. I remember in the early days of of HIPAA uh, and the early days of the Advanced Health Care Directive, it was very important to have a provision in the Advanced Health Care Directive to the effect that waived the privacy restrictions of HIPAA. Otherwise, there were some horror stories of people going to the hospital and their their family or, or somebody that that was there, who knows what, had trouble getting information. And so uh, we began, I began putting that in there and gave seminars on it. I don't know that that's pertinent today, but some people may have some old language advanced health care directives and they may need to go to their attorney to make sure that they comply with current uh, HIPAA matters. Uh, I'm not sure this is pertinent, but it certainly is a memory that I have that was very important at one time. And so maybe you could comment on that. Sure, Roger. And I, that's a great comment. It's actually, you're right. That does not have to be in the advanced directive, but it is very I always advise people, um, my friends and family, go ahead and put that in the advanced directive so there's no question. Because if it's not in there, then when I talked about the healthcare professional having to use their professional judgment, well, they then have to decide, is this in your best interest to provide this information to someone? And because HIPAA, the regulations do provide that people who violate the law and choose incorrectly um, they can be held liable for civil fines and even criminal uh, punishment. So a lot of people are overly cautious, Roger. So if you can 
ever make the decision yourself. And that's kind of what the advanced directive is all about. If you can make that decision yourself when you have the ability to, go ahead and do that so that someone doesn't have to make it for you. So this is the same way with the release of information. If you know that in your incapacity, you would like a certain person to be able to access all your information and act as your personal representative, then go ahead and put that in the document. And that makes it a lot easier for the provider, whether it's a legal requirement or it's necessary or not, it's highly advisable because it does make them not have to try to decide what you would have wanted. Same thing for any advance directive. And, you know, and, and that's just such a great point, Benson. And on the, on the form, it's up the HIPAA form too, you can designate who is allowed to get that information. So you can always put the person who you're going to name in your healthcare directive as, as the person who has access to information. So you've got it in both places and that is a simple fix. That's exactly right. And like I said, whether, you know, there's, there are, you know, the healthcare attorneys and the providers, they can hash that out eventually. But in an emergency, you would much rather have that information right there where no one has to go into the depth and making that long drawn out decision. I was just at an urgent care facility last week and I made sure I said my husband and my daughter who lives in town, right. they have access, they tell them anything they want to know. <laughs> right. And that helps all providers. I remember being at the bedside, um, providing for providing care for patients and sometimes wondering, would, would the patient have wanted this family member to have information? And if they've already made that decision, it takes it out of my hands. I did. It was much easier for me. Email us your questions right now or anytime. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Benson Hill, Privacy and Information Security Officer at UMMC, about HIPAA. Our MPB listeners are very interested and very curious, so I have another source of HIPAA information for you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon, whether he likes it or not, he's our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we do hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Or you can find all of the MPB Think Radio recordings from the website mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning, we're talking about HIPAA with our guest, Benson Hill, an attorney at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Now, you can read publications and resources about HIPAA from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. I'll have their website links on this show's information. We have a couple of calls. Let's go to Mobile first and speak with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, thanks for so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hi, I'm also an attorney, but I do labor and employment law. And one thing I have found about HIPAA is that employees have a complete misunderstanding of HIPAA and how it applies to employers, because employers are not a covered entity. Um, underneath HIPAA. Um, I've had issues where employees have refused to fill out Family Medical Leave Act paperwork uh, because they say it's a violation of HIPAA or also provide doctor's notes as to why they were absent from work. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's a misconception that a number of people have because it comes up so much in my work. Elizabeth, thank you. I appreciate that because that is very, so true. Uh, I see that quite often, almost every at least once a week we see that, um, whether it be a patient or an employee. 
Um, because even well, as a healthcare provider, we have to treat our employee records different than we do our patient records. So you may have, all, you know, all of I'm a patient at UMMC, but I'm also an employee. So I have two sets of records, and we actually keep those separately. Um, right. And so that's very much true. Your employer, like I said, unless you work for a covered entity, is probably not um, covered at all and does not have to follow the HIPAA regulations. They do not apply at all. So your employer is allowed to ask you anything. You also have, you right. know, you're, you have the option of not providing that, but that's the same with any employment situation. Um, a lot of times it's the option of providing the information they ask with continued employment or finding another employer. But that is, you know, they're not violating any laws or any rules by asking anything they would like. Um, right. So that's And especially since with a Family Medical Leave Act, that's a pretty extensive form put out by the government right. regarding a person's current medical condition. But I just wanted to put that out. I think employers know that, but it's employees that often have the misconception that the employer is violating HIPAA. Right. Um, of course, there are laws like the Family Medical Leave and the Americans with Disabilities Act that do require you to keep that information separate. Certainly. Um, but I just wanted to clarify that if there's anyone out there listening to me, their employer is violating HIPAA. <laughs> That's a great comment, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Elizabeth, you are a valuable listener. We notice you and we appreciate you. Thank you so much for calling in today. Sure, I think I called in last week, and I've called in a couple of times before. We, we love it. We absolutely we love do. it. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's go to Macomb and see what Gino has to say. Gino, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? I, I'm not sure. I think I'm, this is Dio. Oh, okay. Sorry, Dio. What's up? No problems. I've had problems uh, at healthcare providers. Uh, when you have to assign the initial uh, docs to receive services, uh, I've asked for signed copies of that uh, that doc, and I've had some providers to say that I cannot get it at that time, but I would have to go to their record departments to get copies. Are they required to give me a copy of that signed document at the time of the signing? That is the best practice. A lot of places are just not set up with copy machines and ways to give you a copy of your signed document. Almost everyone will give you a copy of what you signed. And then the one that actually has your original signature, they may have to um, get a copy of that from their medical records department. And so um, we do encourage people that if someone asks for a signed copy to go ahead and give that to them at the time of service. That is um, the best practice. But the requirement is they provide you a copy of what you signed and that you can get a, co- a signed copy um, from their medical records department. I, I, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, this is, this is my hill. So I went to a, my physician moved to a new building and they got bought by somebody else. So they had a new computer system. This gal wanted me to sign on the like invisible sign thing without seeing what I was signing. She just said, here's your here's your HIPAA information. Go ahead and sign it. What am I signing? I didn't even know what I was signing. And then, you know, it magically put my signature on the form. But she wanted me to sign something without even knowing what I was signing. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what would Professor Gershon say? I was signing a contract without even seeing what it was. So, yeah, sometimes office 
protocol can get in the way. It certainly can. Um, a lot of times people will ask you, here, here's, like you said, they will say, here's the notice of privacy practices, please sign it. And you said, but you haven't given me the notice of privacy practices. I haven't seen anything yet. Um, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand as well is the actual what the notice of privacy practices is. All that is is the federally required form that we provide you, every healthcare provider, every covered entity provides you that shows how we plan to use your personal health information. That by signing the notice, you're not saying you're agreeing to anything. All it is is an acknowledgement that we gave it to you. And we're you're not technically legally required to sign it. We are legally required to ask you to sign it. So we are supposed to use our best efforts to get that information, and we do have to document if you refuse to sign it. And that's just another federal regulation. And that is, again, the government trying to protect your rights, trying to ensure that providers give you the information that you're supposed to have. So always feel free. If someone asks you to sign this and you haven't seen that notice of privacy practices, feel free. And as the privacy officer at UMMC, I'm perfectly okay with you going to any one of our providers and saying, give us a notice of our privacy practices. They can provide that for you. It's also available on our website, and any provider with a website should have that available readily on their website. Well, let's talk about providers, you know, because you talked about patient rights, but what burdens are put on providers by, for, by HIPAA? There are, like you said, Professor, there are limitations on how your information can be shared. And so we have to use um, national standards and how we protect your information, especially that has become a challenge with the increase of electronic health records. Used to, it was very easy um, to track where your health information went because it was all in a paper record. I could lay hands on this record, and if I couldn't find it, that's one thing, but as long as I could lay hands on this paper record, I knew where your health information was. If I didn't make a physical copy, I knew no one had gotten a copy. But now with the uh, advent and almost ubiquity of an electronic health record, which makes it amazingly easy to share information. And that is a benefit where we can easily share information among your providers. They can all see the same source of information. You have what we call a single source of truth about your health care. You're allowed to see it, but it also makes it so much easier to share it incorrectly. So one of the burdens is to make sure that anyone who has access is authorized. Um, we don't share it with anyone just because they say they are your personal representative, we do have to take a little bit of um, responsibility. And so a lot of people that have had trouble getting loved ones information, a lot of times it is because the healthcare provider is trying to protect it, not because they don't want to share it or don't want you to have it. They need to verify that you are someone that the patient would have wanted to share it with. And so that is a little bit more of a burden. But it's an important one because it does protect um, the patient's rights. Again, that is, you know, in healthcare, we're all about providing care for the patient and quality and not doing any harm. So we don't want to do anything that would harm a patient's privacy. Um, and so we have to take all these precautions and make sure that your data is stored in such a way that it can't be misused. The place where you can email your legal questions any time of the day or night is legalterms at mpbonline.org.
If you'd like local information about HIPAA, I have one last source for you. That's next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Ooh, and what I love about the YouTube channel is when you're playing the YouTube video, which isn't a video because it doesn't show any video, but it has the transcript. And so you can, like, search if you hear a word. Uh, elephant, and you you know they said the word elephant somewhere. Uh, you you know can type, and it shows you know where it comes up in the the video, and you can read from there. I just love the the YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. And our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, at 11 a.m. Central. From UMMC, we have uh, Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress, who is on MPB Think Radio. We have gotten quite a number of emails, and we've got a call. Um, We are talking today with Benson Hill, Privacy and Information Security Officer at UMMC, about HIPAA. So if you do want to know about UMMC's HIPAA policies... They've got a website. That uh, exact link will be on our show's information. We got a couple of emails. Um, One of them, you know, it shows we're all a small town. And uh, someone emailed and said, I have personally spoken uh, with Benson Hill in regard to HIPAA questions. And he was so patient with me and broke things down so that I could easily understand what steps I needed to take in order to resolve my issues. Uh, UMMC and Mississippi residents are lucky to have him. Uh, If you have time, here are some questions. Uh, Okay, so Benson, do you have to share any disabilities with your direct employer? Are employers allowed to share any sickness or disability with other employees? Is that anything you know about? Not really. Um, like we were talking about with Elizabeth earlier, your employer most likely is not a covered entity. So they're not liable for following the HIPAA regulations. So what you share with your employer is not protected. And that's actually something that is required of us. Anytime you f- sign a HIPAA authorization that allows us to share your health information with someone else, that authorization has a notice. If you'll not- look at it on the bottom, it says that You should be aware, I'm paraphrasing, that if we share your information with someone who is not covered under the HIPAA regulations, that information, they can share it freely. They're not, you know, liable for that. So that's not a HIPAA question. That is actually a labor law question and American with Disabilities Act, things like that. And that's definitely not my area of expertise. Okay, real quick. What age is the cutoff for parents to have my chart access to their kids' medical records? That's a good question. Um, That is regulated by the states. HIPAA allows, if a lot of states allow minors of a certain age to consent for certain medical procedures, HIPAA says that if you're allowed to consent to a medical treatment procedure, whether it be psychiatric, drugs, um, STI counseling, anything like that, if a minor is allowed to consent themselves without having to have the the parents consent for them, and there's not a requirement that the parents be notified, then the parents do not act as their personal representative in that circumstance. So a lot of states say that, um, and Mississippi being one of them, 
that a child can consent, a minor, especially an adolescent, this is where we usually see this, they can consent for themselves without parent involvement for um, substance use treatment. And also uh, females can consent for, their, for pregnancy issues, um, for seeking STI treatment. And so if a minor can consent, they don't have to um, give their parents permission. We're not allowed to give the parent that information. So depending on the states where you are, um, it's where that cutoff will be. At UMMC, we give parents full proxy access up until the age of 12. I believe that's the cutoff. Um, And then after the age of 12 to 18, you get restricted access. Um, You can always get uh, full medical records of everything you're allowed to get from our medical records department. But the MyChart access doesn't quite work that way. You either get um, very limited access or none. And so since the patients are allowed to consent for certain things themselves, and there's no way to block out just those specific issues, um, MyChart has to make that decision that you only get limited access at between uh, 12 to 18. Here's one. This is a very specific question. I don't know if you know this one. I'm a UMMC patient. Yesterday I tried to sign into MyChart. I got a message saying that the link wasn't working and to call 555-555-5555. Is that phone number valid? The message doesn't appear today, but her sign-in information doesn't work. That's definitely not a valid phone number. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that. If you call the UMMC switchboard, uh, they will direct you to the appropriate department, and I will make sure when I get back to work that it's working uh, appropriately. And uh, one last email thing. Uh, This was an individual who was worried when they went into a clinic, they heard people talking about another patient. And they decided they didn't want to go to that clinic anymore. And they'd gotten a phone call from someone, a staff who wanted to know their social security number, proof of address and some other things. And they just didn't think that clinic was uh, trustworthy. Right. And that's something we tell our clinics that, you know, and everyone, all providers, that patients are listening. Patients pay attention to how you use their information. And you have to think about this as whether it be your information or I've actually stopped using that analogy because so many people say, well, I don't care if you use my information. What if it was your child or your mother? Um, How do you want their information used? So we tell our providers to think about it that way. HIPAA doesn't require a practice to remodel their building. If there is not a private area, they should just use the best um, what's available. So a lot of times in a crowded crowded office space, a crowded emergency department, you will overhear conversations. Um, and so those are what's called incidental exposures. You just, they're not, sometimes you just can't help it. There's no way to prevent it. We do use our, um, we try our best um, to not share information publicly, but occasionally it does happen. Um, if you ever have a concern, do speak to the practice manager. Um, if, if it's an independent practice, that practice manager will know what to do. If they're not, they will escalate it to whomever is responsible. Um, but we do encourage you to voice your concerns and let that be known. I think I remember some people getting fired because they shared George Clooney's x-ray information or something Definitely. one time. Let's go to the phones real quick. Mikey from Mobile. Mikey, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? We're talking about HIPAA. Well, you just gave me a whole bunch of answer there, but uh, just to make sure, because I'm kind of slow sometimes, uh, that I'm understanding. Uh, the question I have is when someone is called in as a consultant, I mean, 
look, lawyers and doctors, they're not always sitting in the coffee shop having dialogue, right, or in each other's offices. Um, and they you're just <laughs> saddled by so many on-the-spot um, judgments of what to do and how to do it. And, and you know, it's I, I can't imagine how you guys <laughs> make it through it. Um, but if there's a consultant, you know, consulting guy called in, for something that's an emergency surgery, say, or anything, um, what sort of things, what's, how can you find out who called them, why they called them, when they called them, and all that stuff? Is that your business, or is that something that's going to be shielded from you? A, a consulting physician or a consulting surgeon? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That, that decision-making will probably be in the medical record. Um, it depends on what the physician documents, and every provider is a little bit different. Um, but usually they will document who they called and what what information they used to reach that decision um, that they needed to call in a consult. And so all of your medical information should be in your chart. If you can contact your provider to get a, uh, a full access to your full chart and your full documentation, that is probably in there. Oh, Richard, I was going to let you have the last word, but Jay White started our music, so I'm afraid our hour is over. It's been so great. We'll have to have you back. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Benson Hill, for joining us today, Privacy and Information Security Officer at UMMC. Our team is Jay White, our call screener intern Charles Arnold, our podcast producer Jermaine Flood. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi's Med- ah, University of Mississippi School of Law, I almost made you a doctor. I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.